Hi, Richard Smith here from therichardsmith.com. Got a bit of a special in this podcast because I delivered a presentation to a group called the Indigo Umbrella Group at Hayward's Heath last week. It's a bit off topic for me because I don't normally talk about IT, data security, uh, email encryption and all those geeky bits, but I am very interested in that area of securing data. It's something I've been interested in for many years. And I was asked to do this presentation by Judy Sharp, who runs uh, the Indigo Umbrella Group. Now, podcast runs for about an hour and 20 minutes. It was recorded on my smartphone, so there is a little bit of background noise. But along with the podcast notes, there is an absolute goldmine of information in here if you're concerned about... uh, secure your data, having private conversations, using encryption to share files between you and I and other. Absolutely um, loaded with information which I'm sure you will find helpful and uh, if you're interested in that area of things you'll certainly find it very interesting. If you've got any queries or questions as always drop me an email through the website at therichardsmith.com. Enjoy and I look forward to speaking to you shortly. Five, four, three, two, one. Thanks very much for taking the time to listen to this issue of the podcast. I hope you will find it of interest. And as always, if you have any questions or queries, please contact me through the website, which is therichardsmith.com. This presentation was spawned off of something that was raised at an Indigo breakfast last year about secure browsing and uh, a couple of data protection issues and, and how how you can make yourself safer online. And I said, oh, that's right, on my street. This is, I don't do this professionally. This is something I'm interested in, stuff I, I'm, I'm a bit geeky about, a bit nerdy about. And so <clears throat> I said to Jude, rather than just doing a... Uh, a presentation about secure internet browsing to sort of open that out a little bit to some of the other areas just to give you a feel for what's going on might might be helpful Jude said yeah let's do it so that's where I am if you've got any questions just you know put your hand up and I'll explain in a bit more detail if if I can Um, but I what, what I want to be able to do with you today is to walk through what's going on in terms of online security what's going on with the bad guys what the good guys are doing about it how you can protect yourself online by making some simple changes to how you manage your own data and how you manage your own computer equipment. But also to talk about this whole issue of encryption and protection and backup and how you can use that if you want to use it. Um, One of the concerns I have is, which was raised at the meeting last year, about, you know, secure communications. What? Why do you want to do it? What's the What's the purpose behind it? If it is really top secret, then you need to go down one route. If it's just you don't want anybody else seeing it, then you need to go down you know another route. So I've got some simple things for you to do on that. So that's that's where I am, and uh, I'm going to get straight into it now. So we're going to talk about what what the bad guys are up to, what the good guys are doing. Going to talk about passwords. Going to talk about secure browsing, and going to talk about encryption and uh, some of the techie things around that, particularly looking at how secure certificates work. So when you go to a website which is HTTPS, as 
as Indigo Umbrella is and hypnotherapy is now, or you go to a banking site, how that, how HTTPS actually protects you, and it's quite interesting technology. Um, so, so I've put some recent news in there because I think it's been quite interesting. Um, there, there are these things kicking around the web called botnets, and these are a collection of, of compromised computers which are just out there to collect as much data as they can, which that data may mean your email address, it may mean your passwords, it may mean um, uh, uh, address information of, of where you live, it may mean your car registration number. Uh, but these, these, net, these, these networks, large, very large networks of connected computers, are there just to harvest data and they go off around the net searching for their own thing they'll find a compromised site extract data from it and that data is then collated and shared and shared on very often with these with these with these bad guys they're looking to get a piece of data from here and a piece of data from here so that could mean your mother's maiden name from one site and your password from another site and eventually that data is all pulled together in one place where they've got enough to put in uh, an application for a bank account or an application for a loan. So, so just losing one piece of information can be quite important for all of you eventually and so um, by dealing with some of these issues it can make it a bit easier for you. So I put a link on there about a link which is the handout which will come out to you in relation to what a botnet is. Chinese hackers, what the Chinese hackers are up to. Most of the stuff that comes out of China in terms of the bad guys is state-sponsored. Uh, obviously the government will deny it, the Americans are denying it, but it does appear, and if you go through some of the online forums, a lot of the stuff that's going on is based from, is being driven by, by, by the Chinese government. If we look at what's happened in the States recently, where they've, um, Chinese persons have infiltrated some of the bigger universities in the in, in America <laughs> for the purposes of harvesting data. The these these Chinese hackers are are, are do, doing that on a on a grand scale. To support that, Huawei, which you may or may not have heard about, Huawei is the organization that is providing just about all of the technology for 5G. Now we know 5G is coming um, but the Australians, the Americans, and the British also, the Germans have come out and said there is no way Huawei is going to be allowed to roll out their technology. 5G is about the IoT, the Internet of Things, an Internet-connected fridge, an Internet-connected oven, washing machine. Basically, it means that you can click on a recipe on your fridge door. It will connect to the net and you know come back with a list of ingredients you need. You can then, and if you want, you'll be able to click through and order them again. So this is what the Internet of Things and 5G is designed to do. Unfortunately, the people that own all the patents on it is Huawei. Huawei have clearly and obviously put extra stuff in their chips with a view to phoning home with information. So the current word on the street is if you're buying anything with a Huawei, the Huawei product in it or a Huawei brand. Huawei. Huawei, who, Huawei, who knows? <laughs> Huawei. H, um, H U A W E I. Um, uh, the American government and the German government have come out and said that if you buy anything manufactured by Huawei, 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 however it's pronounced, you can expect that it's going to be compromised and your data will be sold. Don't buy, is what they're saying. Um, and there was an interesting thing with Apple. Um, Apple would purchase some servers for their network from the same manufacturer, and there were chips on the boards that shouldn't have been there. And Apple had said this can only be, you know, with a view to collecting data.
Interesting enough, the financial director from from um, uh, who always been arrested in Canada a couple of weeks ago, she had five passports. <laughs> well, what well, the American government said, well, 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 why, why, why would a, why would a financial controller of a of a you know fairly big company what need five passports? Why what? So they probably locked her up, and there's a whole thing going on there. Um, Russia, ah, more of the same. I don't. I don't believe that Russia is is really being as bad as as everybody makes makes it out to be. There's just, just something that's a bit of a nag about it. Certainly, if you go through some of the dark web forums, um, a lot of Russians are f- focusing on their internal matters, internal politics. Not a lot is going on externally, but certainly some of the <clears throat> the largest botnets, these networks of of infiltrated computers, do emanate from Russia, and a lot of the software is emanated from Russia. <laughs> that's probably because that's they've got some of the best coders. Anyway, um, the best coders, the oh. best people that to create to create the codes that can go and do this stuff. Anyway, there's some links in, in in the handout, so you can you can have a nose around that. Um, so these bad guys are looking these are looking for for little bits of data, the little bits of data to try and hatch an evil plan at some future stage. Um, and I tested before, it's really rare for just one one set of one complete set of data to be taken from from one source. It's unlikely that the banks are going to be hacked. They have security systems in place, but but all of the the providers of services, you know. Um, uh, was it Plusnet? I think it actually was Plusnet, and, and a couple of other providers were hacked a few years ago, where their entire customer databases were stolen, uh, along with credit card information. Although that was that was encrypted, um, uh, because of this issue about data sets becoming quite difficult to get hold of, we are going to see this continue until they've got all the data they want. So they're continuing to grow this information. So in terms of you you being compromised online. If it's not already happened to you, it will be happening at some stage in the future, or at least there will be an attempt for it. So the more you can do to protect yourself online. And the thing is about, I've put a comment, I want a single line about relational databases. Have you ever heard of what those things are? A relational database is the same as a spreadsheet, one single sheet of data. But making that into a relational database is building up data on top of that, on top of it. So what happens is you have this interconnected data set, which is what makes Facebook so powerful in terms of its value to awkward politicians, because it has these massive data sets and you can drill down through that data to get to that snippet of information you want. And these are been around for 40 or 50 years and incredibly powerful. And these guys are using these relational databases and selling your data on on the dark web so that uh, you can actually start to connect up and join the dots between person A and person B. Um, so uh, there was a little snippet about this and something that appeared on one of the internet forums. If, if someone hacked the Nectar database, for example, or the Tesco club card database, um, that data is incredibly value, valuable. Not only does it tell you what you shop and what times you shop, there's a good chance that the times you shop, your house is going to be empty, which means for a burglar, that information <coughs> is really valuable. Now, Tesco are not, or Nectar are not going to admit when they've been. Nectar particularly, it picks up fuel information, so it can see, you know, days of time of the week when you're putting fuel in the car, are you on your way to work, are you on your way home? What you brought at Sainsbury's, what you brought at Tesco's, where you use your nectar card, what times do you go shopping? And you'll be looking for patterns to say, actually, 
Bob Smith's always out the house Friday afternoon looking at his nectar card information. He's nearly always putting food in his car or shopping. So, and the, and the, the, the businesses that are collecting this data are not taking sufficient care of that information. They are not looking after it. They're not, not securing it properly and their systems are not, not sufficient enough to protect against a compromise at some stage in the future. We are going to see very shortly a wide-scale hack, a big hack of something like Nectar or Tesco Club Card going. Um, but there are ways you can cover your own data. So, Sorry? I can't, I can't keep up with you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, so, so one of the things we're going to be talking about in a second is this issue of uh, password security and making sure your own data within these systems is locked down. Um, not having the same password for each website is a fundamental security rule. Um, ABCD, uh, Petunia, um, the dog, the cat, one, two, three, four. Whenever the data has been released from all of these big hacks, um, these passwords are just so commonly used, um, which is <laughs> I, I find quite interesting. So using long passwords that uh, something you have and something you know is going to be vitally important. Go on. Something like LastPass that actually creates your password and not all you've got to get in there, you've got your own one password to get in there and then they can create the passwords and keep them safe. Yep. Do you think they're a good idea? I'm going to talk about LastPass oh, okay. very specifically because, <laughs> because LastPass is unique. Uh, in, in terms of the password managers, because a pass, LastPass is a is a is a is a downloadable bit of software that fit, sits inside your browser and creates and remembers passwords for you. The unique thing about LastPass is that it encrypts all of your data. So LastPass, when it's uploaded to their servers, they don't have access to it. All they see is this blob of data, and they. It can only be unencrypted in your browser. It can't be unencrypted in theirs. So it's a it's a really good bit of kit. It's probably one of the one of the only ones I would so suggest anybody why use. Google came up the other day with a you know with just a load of letters as a password. Yes. And said so you don't have to remember it because Google will remember it for you. Yes. So when I go to that site, obviously it'll put in the password. No, absolutely. But uh, is that is that as good or? Well, I I. It, I it depends whether you trust Google or not. <laughs> I just. I, I wanna... show, show of hands, who trusts Google? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I trust anyone. So I think really, that's really interesting. I think I, I, we all, we all use a lot of Google products, whether we whether we know we do or not. Uh, for, from my point of view, and for me, making a suggestion to you would be about you being in control of your own data, therefore using something like LastPass. Mm. Uh, and, and the unique thing about LastPass is if you decide that you no longer want to use it anymore, you can download all of your passwords onto your machine. The data's unencrypted and you get it as a spreadsheet. The LastPass has no record of that. It's oh, never right, kept. Yeah. They're not interested in it. So it's, it's all about your local machine and it's about this blob of data. So yeah, I don't like not knowing the password because like, if it doesn't work, then I'm... I haven't got my password. Yes, yeah. All of a sudden, it doesn't work. Yeah, but uh, but so but this is this is a whole thing about a whole thing about. Uh, but there's there's a bigger the bigger issue here, and I think the bigger issue is we could come on to talk about now is what, actually what is it you're protecting and, and how you're protecting it, um, and for all of you, whether it be uh, uh, copies of financial documents, digital pictures, whether it be passwords, 
what is it you're trying to protect and what's the end purpose of it? Is it so that, you, so that the family know where your will is or where your pension documents are or where the deeds of the house are? Is it about giving a third party access to your bank accounts, for example? You have to look at each bit of data and say, well, what, what am I doing with that and how am I going to manage it? And certainly with Gmail and Facebook and um, the larger uh, social media platforms and data collators, service providers, they, all of them are offering now a third-party option. So you can say, if anything happens to me, I want X to have access to my data. So particularly with Gmail and Yahoo, well, Yahoo's gone now, kind of gone now. Um, with Flickr, for example, Flickr goes a uh, as an online photo, photo store. You, you can actually notify them of a third party that would kind of have access to your data in the event you're no longer able to get access to it, which is quite... And you, and you should all do that if you want to. So particularly with Gmail, you can give you know your your email. You can uh, put a fail-safe email address in there. So if anything happens to you or you can't get access, then then Gmail will send an email to that person and they can unlock it. So that's so it's not uh, just good enough to give me your password for everything. I've done with my husband, obviously. Yeah. Well, that's one option to give it to a to a close third party. I would suggest that if you're using something like LastPass. Yeah. You don't need to. And I, I, the thing is about passwords is if you can remember it, it's not good enough. Really. If yeah. you can remember your password, yeah. it isn't sufficient. And so... Um, <laughs> yeah, but, back to my husband. Well, just, no, you don't remember your password. Just, um, uh, and, uh, but, so, uh, but, so by using something like LastPass, you can give your husband access to that and you can share information within the platform itself. So, but, so, so, but, so looking at all of your data, where you've got it stored and what, and what, what its purpose is, is really quite important. Um, but last pass, just it's a, it's a no-brainer. But so, just to move on, because I think this is this is where it starts to get quite interesting. And there's a, a there's a link at the back about um, password. I've got a document on the website about password <laughs> policy and how to create stupidly long passwords for yourself without having to remember them. Um, so. HTTPS, that little padlock with that green light. Do you do you all understand how that works? Yeah, quite well. Okay. It's it's an amazing bit of technology. So so encryption has been around for donkey's years. You all know about the Enigma machine and the Germans. That's that's that data encryption. This is taking a blob of data and manipulating it to something else. So when you look at a secure website you're going to visit a secure website. The website says, hi, what do you want? And your browser is saying, can I have a look at your website? And the website says to you, yeah, you can. I'm gonna lock this data, I'm gonna put a padlock on it, I'm gonna encrypt it, then I'm gonna send it to you. So it travels across the internet, nobody else can read it, nobody else can see it. Within the browser itself, um, you're then, the browser will then put your padlock on it. So it's, the data's got two padlocks on it now. It's been encrypted twice. It comes back to me, to my browser. This happens in real time. My browser takes my padlock off. It comes back to you. You have now the padlock or the key to the padlock to unlock the data and the data appears. Happens in an instant, happens in real time. But it basically means that any data you share across a HTTPS connection is locked. The only time it appears He's back on your screen when you when when your browser unlocks it automatically. Now, wherever you go, wherever you talk about encryption, whether you wherever you talk about 
a secure website, that is the process that's going on behind the scenes. You're asking for data, I'm locking the data, I'm sending it to you, you're putting your padlock on it, it comes back to me, bear in mind it's all still secure, I take my padlock off, it goes back to you, your padlock's removed and you can see the data. That is how it works in real time. And this is all done behind the scenes within the browsers. Can, can I ask if, if there's any difference between the browsers that do that? In other words, should you use a Google browser or a Firefox browser oh. or an internet? I mean, which, which is more secure? Okay, the answer to that is uh, uh, if you think Google is the Antichrist, which a lot of people do. There's a tendency there. There's a, if you think Google is the Antichrist, then use Firefox. Yeah, which is what I do. But certainly if you're running Windows, not to use the Windows browsers. Well, the Windows browsers now gone. The Whatever whatever they called it. Uh, was it Internet Explorer? And they called it something else, and it's just disappeared. Firefox or Chrome. I like Chrome, but it, Chrome is, which is the Google browser, but it's quite intensive on data, it, it, sorry, it uses quite a lot of memory. Um, between the pair of them they are both secure, they both have similar functionality. Um, I like Firefox but I find it a little bit glitchy sometimes in places, but I, in terms of the choice it would be Firefox or Chrome. But you can use Chrome without having a Google account, so you don't have to share data with, with Chrome. So provided, you're, provided you're, log, you're not logged into your Google account and you use Chrome, they can't trace you. It's, it works as an ordinary browser. And if you want to upload the, 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 the plugins and the bolt-ons for Chrome, you don't need a Google account for that. So, so uh, it, is a, it is a simple choice. Is Google the Antichrist, but then in which case don't use it. So Internet Explorer Windows, isn't it? Uh, well, they stopped supporting Well, well Internet Explorer has disappeared a, for a while ago. They haven't they had a new browser out, I can't remember the name of it, because I don't use Windows. Yeah, some, but that's now been pulled. There, there. I think they're running to either running to Chrome or to or to Firefox, one of the two. But I, mm. I haven't used Windows for a long while. Um, don't. I know it doesn't work very well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely <laughs> so. Um, no, we didn't die. No, nothing. So this. So <laughs> if you don't use Windows, what do you use? Linux. Oh, wow. Um, and I'll come on to that in a second. Well, actually, going to yeah, come, come on to that in a second. So. Um, but good, start, start, start with this, start with this, this issue of, of, of secure data. We have this whole issue of encryption. Depending on how it's encrypted, depends on, on how long it takes and how mobile it is, you know, how big the lump of data is that's got to travel across the net. And so you might find that some online banking websites are really slow. Um, Barclays is particularly quick. HSBC I find really gutless just because of the encryption. And it's just a, it's just a thing. So... Um, but a couple of tips you can all use. Um, if any of you run, run your Windows or Apple machines as an administrator, as an admin user, are, are you all aware of that? Yeah. So when, yeah. when your account on your computer where you have to, you've all got passwords on your computer, haven't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. On your user accounts. Most user accounts tend to be as an administrator. An administrator of a computer, of a PC, an Apple or a Linux or a Windows machine, has full control of that machine. They can do what they like. They can install software, they can update software, they can do certain things to the hard drive. If you happen to go to a dodgy website and that dodgy website wants to infect your machine, <coughs> as an admin user it can do it behind the scenes. It doesn't need your permission. So running as an admin user 
will always leave yourself wide open. As soon as that machine is connected to the internet, it leaves you wide open to the bad guys being able to infect your machine without you knowing about it. So you should never run as an administrator. You should only ever run as a user. If any, anything wants to install software on your machine, it will ask you to re-log in as an admin user or to type in your admin password. So you can immediately see, well, actually, I wasn't expecting to be installing software this morning. So you give yourself a layer of protection. So what's the difference? How do I know what, what I'm signed in as? If you go to your, your, your user account, within the, within, if you go to settings, <coughs> user accounts, and find your user, right. it will say next to your name, administrator. Oh, okay. Or, it will, or your, on Windows, you'll be called an administrator or, or a user. You want to be a user, not an administrator. If you alter your existing account, if you, if you try to transfer your account from administrator to an ordinary user, you may lose some of your data. Well, you might not lose your data, you might not get access to it, so just be aware of that. So you would, but, you, but you should always be running as a, as a user and not as an administrator. It's the sort of, it's the, it's the first, the front line effectively. I have never run antivirus on any of my machines, ever, and have never had an infection but I've never run as an administrator. And I've had big arguments with this with IT people. If you go into corporate, for example, there's absolutely no way are you allowed to install software on your machine. It's just an immediate flag. <laughs> it just, it's just, it's a no-no. That's because you're a user and never an administrator. So that, that does prevent a lot of, prevent a lot of problems. Um, so whether you're running Apple's or Windows machine, whether you're running running Linux, these are the, the you're run, running as a user is going to be the be the first port of key port of call from online security. Bits of paper, don't ignore having secure information written on bits of paper, particularly passwords. If it's on a bit of paper, no hacker can get access to it. He's got to break into your house, find it, and read it. So. Don't ignore having secure information written down. I know you like a bit of paper, Jude, I don't do you? Like a bit of paper. And, and, I like a bit of paper. Because if you're trying to sort of secure data, uh, having it on a computer means it's always going to be vulnerable, particularly if it's connected to the net. If it's on an A4 pad and in, a, in a drawer at home, somebody needs to break into the house, needs to know where to find it and get it and then understand it. Yeah. So, 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 so don't be afraid of that. But more importantly, man-in-the-middle attacks, what they call a man-in-the-middle attack, um, where, where, uh, where a, um, a, a bit of software sits between an internet browser and the website, particularly where you've got your browser connecting to your online banking, what they call a man-in-the-middle attack, needs to come from your, an infected machine, but it can sit in the middle of your, your connection, even though it's secure, and, and read whatever you're putting into that, that website. And these are really quite common. Um, so, so if it's written down on a piece of paper, people can't get access to it. If you do telephone banking, for example, it, it sort of. Um, so does that uh, mean you shouldn't save your passwords on your machine then? You know, when you put a new password in and it comes up and says, "Do you want to save this? Don't save this." Okay, I would suggest you use LastPass. Okay. Automatically, one of the problems you have with keyloggers and other bad stuff that goes on within computers. If you can see it on the screen, a keylogger can read it. So that includes LastPass. So the fact it's encrypted and it's protected by all these sort of walls, if it can be seen on the screen, if you've got a keylogger on your system or, or some sort of screen reader, somebody else could be getting access to that. Um, on, on a Windows machine, if you press Control, Alt and Delete at the same time, those three buttons, 
uh, our, our box will appear with a list of resources and you can look down those resources and find out what they are and very often you'll find a one on there you don't recognize and if you google that or whatever your favorite search engine is if you don't want to use Sorry, Google. Key, key control alt and delete let's get this in the notes uh, you'll get a list of all the programs that are currently running on your system. Apple's got a version of it, and Linux has got the same version of it. But it basically allows you to look at what's running. So if you if you think you've got a problem with the machine, you think it's been been you know infected or corrupted in some way, Control Alt and Delete will, will give you a list of software that's currently running. Recognising what it's referring to, isn't that, it? That's the problem. But if you can do a Google search on that, or just or close it down and see what happens uh, when you get that blue screen of death, when the whole thing goes just dies on you, you know you've done something wrong. Reboot, press the button again. For those of you that are really, 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 really petrified about browsing the net, but want to do it securely, particularly online banking, um, you can now download versions of Linux, Ubuntu, and a couple of others that you can fit on a CD or on a floppy disk or on, on a USB drive. Um, so you've got an entire operating system that just sits on a small disk. Um, one of the beauties about that is that that, that software cannot be written to, it cannot be corrupted. Once it's been written to a CD or a USB stick, that can never be corrupted, never be infected by anything. So you can browse the web really safely, particularly if you're doing online banking, for example. You can turn your machine off, reboot it, boot from a floppy or boot from a USB disk to a completely new operating system, then go and do your online banking. You have to have lots of memory for that. No, no, it's really, <laughs> it's really an old, an old machine. Even, even easier, the older the machine, the, the the better some of this stuff works. It's designed to run on older machines. So you but it basically download the operating system. From yeah, burn it to it, burn it to a CD. Burn it to a CD. So a lot of machines don't have CD drives. USB either. stick. Okay. A USB memory stick. And I I just brought a brought a, a USB stick. It was 128 gig USB stick, which was. So you don't download it from that onto your computer, you just stick that in? You just stick it on and boot it, it, boot it from that. Yeah, from so it's actually loading from, from a USB okay. stick. Yeah. Uh, that, that was about 22 quid on Amazon last week, which is 128 gig, which is larger than the hard drive in the, in the laptop. You've got, you still got to have enough sort of working memory to take an extra 120... So if you wanted to download something like Ubuntu, for example, you can put that on a 750 megabyte CD. And it will run from that. Oh, okay. So, so it doesn't have to be big, yeah. It's running from the CD. Okay. Just a bit slower, but it yeah. does mean that it's completely secure. The machine can never be infected because the software doesn't have the ability to write to disk, so it can't store any information. So if you're paranoid about secure browsing, then then doing it... Doing Linux it that, never used to be very user-friendly, though, did it? I, well, yeah, I would disagree on one hand but agree on the other. Uh, with the modern, with the older platforms, there was a bit of a fiddle to install. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, uh, but with the modern ones, it's, they're, they're really easy. It's just, just, you know, just... You can run a Windows Linux, can't you? Oh, you've got... Well, you can now do it any way you want with virtual work, virtualware. So you can run Linux within Windows. You can run Windows within Linux. Um, you can do whatever you Does want. Does that defeat the object? Well, I, I, I think Windows is the Antichrist in all fairness. I just yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> run a Windows machine for all the tea in China. Um, I, 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 I've got a copy of Windows on, on that because I need it to run two, two lots of specialist mm. software. Um, and I hate it. I just absolutely hate it. Just, that, that's the difficulty, isn't it? You, you've got to have Windows to run quite a lot of the 
as you say, special. Yeah, but if you got if you got a dedicated, I wouldn't run Windows. Through, well, I think Windows. I think Microsoft is the Antichrist, as far as I'm concerned. I think concerned. most of us wouldn't have the skills to run anything other no. than Windows. That's the problem. I'll be honest with you. With the latest versions of Linux, they are idiot proof. Probably the wrong the wrong word for it, but they're very close to. To, 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 to running them so if you out had of a, the box. a Windows loaded machine and you had enough space to load another operating system like Linux, Linux yeah. would you load them both on the hard disk or would you run the Linux from the CD drive? Well, if you want to make it really quick, you'd run it from, you'd install it, you'd install it on your hard drive and it will, it will and do it, it all it for you. Do, oh, as, okay. as, as, as you install Windows now, um, uh, but the software does it all for you. Linux will do it. All deal with the it all for you. People install Windows onto your machine before you buy the machine. Mm. You don't. You don't get the discs anymore. I mean, I I've actually got Windows Home Premium Seven discs. But if I used to buy a computer now, you wouldn't get it. That's right. Yeah. What would you suggest you do as a play? Go and buy yourself a you know four gig USB stick. Um, and then download a version of of, um, of Linux. Um, Which version? Because they, uh, one, I don't know if it's still the same. But at one stage you had Red Hat, you had Ubuntu, you had no end of them. Well, because you know how geeky Linux people are—the girl freaks, really, the aren't they? And logic. <laughs> and so we, we, that's still the case. But but they are now all based on a on a on a handful of platforms. So Ubuntu would be is really easy. Ubuntu, and there's a link to that in the, in the notes, uh, it's really intuitive, it's idiot-proof, it, and it's easier than Windows to install. And you can put it on a CD, and you can play with it, and have a jiffle with it, and if you like it, continue to use it. It comes complete with all the bloatware you need, a word processor, a spreadsheet, and all the bits and pieces. Um, uh, photo editors, all the bits and pieces are all built That's into it. Onion. So, and I, I, um, well, I've got a version of... of, of um, uh, Debian on here now. I do for, but so just to, just on that point about about op, different operating systems, most of the web runs on Linux. Well, we have actually nearly all of the web runs on Linux. It's created by a load of freaks, a Norwegian freak, Torvalisk, I think whatever his name is. Can't remember his name. Yeah, and so, uh, but but all those guys that work for Microsoft and Apple and Google in their spare time they code. And they code for Linux, so you get all this good stuff in there, um, and and all of the web runs on Linux, and it's pretty secure. It's very stable. It doesn't fall over like Windows does, and and if you think if there's millions of servers around the trillions of servers around the world on Linux, why wouldn't we have it as a home machine? Well, the reason we haven't is history, because we've always been used to using, you know, the you know the Bill Gates and his Antichrist approach. But you know, can I ask one question? What's, what's the ultimate amount you ought to have on a, on a stick, you know, to, to run it and well, with, save? Well, with, with, with Ubuntu, for example, it's uh, a 4 gig uh, USB stick. Yeah, it's a minimum, but what, what, what I'm saying, if you're going to run it regularly, what, what sort of size do you Well, it depends how much data you're going to put on there, but a 4 gig is quite a lot of data. That's, you know, 40 or 50,000 Word documents, it's... It's, yeah, once you if you use it for photos and things like that. Oh, once you use it for photos, it's a slightly different world. But but uh, 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 a sixteen gig USB stick will give you an operating system. Yeah. yeah, you could take anywhere and have just all you all of your life on that one yeah. thing and plug it into an else's machine, load your software, which is unique to you. And um, but I, I but it's not. 
it's like all these things. You look at, you know, when you install Windows, you open the lid on a new laptop and the Windows sort of does it all for you. You don't have to think about it. Well, Linux is very similar to that now. It wasn't before. It, it, wasn't, was, no. it was a bit of it was a bit of a mission. So, so you, but there are alternatives that are more secure, that are safer, where your data is not being ripped off and sold, as is with with a lot of lot of the providers. Um, so having on a CD, having an alternative operating system on a, on a DVD is really really good. So we've covered. Ten minutes to coffee. We've covered secure internet browsing and how that works. Uh, I, I think it's just great technology. It makes me smile every time I see that green screen. One question. Sorry. Emails. Yes. Because I was compromised through an email account. So how does that get... How do you secure an email account in terms of hackers getting your email and stuff? I have a really big password. Last pass back to that game. Yeah, back to last pass game. It's only happened once, but I didn't know how they did it. And um uh, well, well, okay. In, ter in, ter in terms of their approach, so so what what happens? With, what, what, I'll cover this a bit in passwords. The reason accounts get compromised is really quite straightforward. Um, um, uh, they, they will either use what they call a dictionary attack. So they've got the first bit because they know, they've already identified your email address. They've got the first bit. And if you go to your Gmail account, the first thing it asks you for is, is your email account. So they only need to find the second bit, which is a password. So they use what they call a dictionary attack, which they just use a bit of software that keeps firing passwords out of the dictionary. It will start at A and end up at Z. And then once it's... Once it's once it's gone through the dictionary, it still hasn't got in. They'll either walk away from it and, and play somewhere else, or it will go Ardvark one, Ardvark two, Ardvark three until it can find the password. That's interesting because it found a very very old password, not even on my machine, but on a previous machine. Yeah. So, and, so, and so very, off, very often it's just a dictionary attack, and we think that we're being targeted uh, because our email account's been hacked. You know or who. Who did this? You know how outrageous and very often just guys looking for data, just looking. You know, simple things like just getting access to your email account and sending an email to your list and making out your, you know, you've been at a rave in Ibiza this week. You're off your head. Can you send me two hundred euros? You know, it's just got, and so that's just, just, and so, um, and you'll be surprised at the amount of people. Oh, God, poor old Pauline, she's. Drunk as a skunk in Ibiza, I better send her 200 quid. Hang on a second, she's 74. What's she doing out there? There's so nothing just, wrong with nothing old No, no, I know I just I knew I'd put a foot in there. I knew I'd put a foot in there. But this is, what they, this is what they're up to. This is what they're, they're, trying, they're trying to do at each stage. So, and I, um, uh, okay, the dark web. Oh, I love the dark web. It's not what you think it is. It's about drugs, cyber criminals, kidnappers. Um, I, I've never found anything on it that's been remotely of interest. Some of the Russian sites are pretty good. But the dark web is basically an alternative to the internet. It was American, invented by the American Navy, um, uh, based, based on uh, the, uh, the Tor browser, and um, the, the software ended up with onion in the name. Uh, and it basically means that... Um, all dark web domain names end in .onion. They can only be accessed through a browser, and what happens is, like an onion, there are layers and layers and layers of encryption so that if anyone sees your information, they have no idea, all they see is a blob of data. The, the, the dark web itself doesn't know where you are or where you come from or what it is you're doing, because each time it connects to another computer on the network, on the net, the data is encrypted, then sent on, unencrypted, 
encrypted sent on, unencrypted. So it provides a very, very secure way of sharing information. The bulk of the information on there is porn, as, as the worst porn you can ever imagine, um, sex offenders, drugs, um, and some really bad stuff. But it's great for sharing information you don't want anybody else to have access to. It's absolutely perfect for that. Um, with WikiLeaks and The Guardian, that was all done through through the dark web uh, using a, a system called Secure Drop. Uh, basically means you can download a dark web browser, a Tor browser, have that on your machine, click on the link, install the app called Secure Drop. You can drop a file onto the dark web, share the link with whoever you want to share it to. No one else would know it's there, no one else would know it exists. Um, does that include military secrets and all it that? It includes whatever dark crap you want to share with anyone <laughs> that you know full well it gets found out. You're going to go straight to jail. You're not going to pass go. You can use a secure web for that. It's going to be, it's going to be in the notes. You, down, you, you download, the, the, download the Tor browser, which is exactly the same as you would do if you was downloading any other browser. T-O-R. T-O-R. Um, um, uh, and they're, they're, uh, if you've ever installed widgets or apps within your browser, you'll be familiar with that process. And with the Tor browser, you download what they call a secure drop app. Um, uh, and all that does, quite simply, is... Uh, it'll ask you if you want to upload a file, it opens up another window, you click on the file, it uploads it, once it's up, encrypted it and uploaded it and stored it on a, a bit of the dark web, uh, that it will give you a link that you can share, which means that the only person that can access that or find that data is the person that's got the link. Um, and basically means you can share whatever you want, good stuff, bad stuff, nasty stuff, rude stuff. <laughs> One of the problems with sending anything via email is you have no idea where it's rooted or where it's been intercepted. So, for example, I can send an email across the desk here, but that'll go up to Scotland, yeah. over to Norway, out to Spain. It will be bounced off mail servers around the world. In packets, yeah. So, so you've no idea where it's going to end up. Uh, 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 so how are you sharing the link? <coughs> well... I'm going to come on to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, uh, but also, um, I put a, put a note in there. You may also see some stuff where you get a uh, this, this is a straightforward uh, uh, login login box to a to a, which you would see on an email account or to a, to, to login into Facebook. Um, that, that happens to go to a secure member site in my area, um, which is you know mem.therichardsmith.com. Um, that's for some of the people that I coach and mentor. So I put information up there for them. No one can get access to it. No one can see it. It's locked behind a, a password protected um, folder with, within my website, and no one can really see it. Yes, it could be hacked. If someone come in at the top end through my my main account they could they could see it but no one can see it from the website and this I've got the password. And there's quite a lot of that stuff going on. So if you're looking to 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 lock that if you wanted to lock down information, putting it behind a password protected web folder is, is one of the one of the a fairly quick way of doing it. Or use secure drop with a tour browser. Should we stop for coffee now? Yeah. Okay. Quick break for coffee, tea, whatever. Refresh. Um, we'll come back and we'll have a bit more, and then there will be open time for questions and answers. Okay, tour browser. So, 
if you really want to lose yourself on the internet and look at some of the more interesting things to be seen. Oh, <laughs> was, uh, Silk, Silk Road, which was a famous, or The Silk Road, which was the famous um, dark web uh, website, um, was trading billions of pounds a year of drugs, children, whatever you wanted was being traded on there. And, um, and this was all because of the dark web, all because of um, uh, uh, the, 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 the security the dark web brings. It was invented or pulled together by the US Navy. It was designed for completely sealed conversations across the world. Um, and it works perfectly. Once you go in through the Tor browser, your internet service provider knows you are using the Tor browser because they see it going in. From there on in, your data's hashed across servers and, uh, and, and peer networks across the web and no one knows what you're doing until you leave it. And when you leave it, it pings your internet service provider to say that you've now left the Tor network, but it has no idea what you've done while you've been in there. So um, therefore, you are open to being pleased. Yes, you must be monitored, surely. Well, there is, there is a nag about, about um, how interested they are about you looking at stuff within a dot onion domain area. Um, I, I know people that use it on a fairly regular basis, particularly for secure drop, the sh of sharing files, and of having conversations which you wouldn't normally want to have anywhere else. For example, if you're using... Um, uh, a work computer. If you're lucky enough to have a Tor browser installed in it, you can have conversations. <laughs> <laughs> you can have you can have conversations. Can have conversations with people in the office that are, that are not going to be made privy to 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 co-workers or other people. Completely completely secure. Do they have them on work? Uh, yes, some do. Yes, yeah. so I've worked for a couple of city firms that have got got Tor browsers installed. Uh, mainly because they look, a lot of them are looking use it for research, looking for. Looking for what's going on. You insider know. trading. Yeah, insider trading, all the stuff that goes <laughs> that on. Interesting. <laughs> I, um, I suspect the police themselves. Um, I suspect, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Um, and so, so, um, but, 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 have a play, have a, have a look at it. But there are, if you want to, want to, um, want to browse securely, there are easy ways of doing it. But you know, at, you know, don't be afraid of, of, of the Tor browser. The search engines are a bit, a bit pants really. One of them is called Parasite. It's probably about the biggest one. That's parasite with a Z. Parasite, yeah, parasite. It's a bit pants. It's a bit. It looks like you was looking at Yahoo in you know feels like nineteen fourteen, but it's not that long ago. It's probably two thousand and something. Um, I don't. I don't even even used AOL. Uh, as an internet service provider, but when you went to the main the main AOL portal, it looked a bit looked a bit pants. Well, Parasite looks a bit pants, and, and and when you search for stuff, you get some unexpected results. It's not like Google. Um, some of it's valuable, a lot of it's not. So, so I'm going to go off topic now, very very slightly, and a couple of things you can do in order to protect yourself, which I think you should all you should all do this. Um, uh, when you when you go to the bbc.co.uk, the web the web itself doesn't understand what that is. Okay, it knows you're looking for something, but it doesn't recognise the bbc.co.uk because computers don't understand bbc.co.uk. So they use what they call a DNS server or, or, or a um, 
the full term is a, I never remember this, domain name server. So the actual address on the web of the BBC website is 192.168.0.1 or something like that. That's the BBC's address on the web. But in order to make it a bit more user-friendly, they use these domain name servers. So what happens is when you type in the bbc.co.uk, immediately a domain name lookup is done. It goes to a domain name server, and the domain name says, oh, what you're looking for is 192.168. There you go, and the BBC website appears in front of you. So, so uh, the web works on, on numbers, on binary numbers, and the, the we work on, on, on domain names. So they have this domain name server registry. You can still type in, I think you can on parts of the BBC, so if you type in their, their, their IP address, their internet protocol address, you can be taken to some parts of the site, but if you want the main site, you have to go in at the very top. Now these domain name servers are all dotted around the web, as you can well imagine. Google's got its own domain name server, which is 8.8.8.8, and that you'll find this in your settings within your internet browser. It will ask you which DNS, which domain name server do you want to look at. Now, depending on which server you're looking at will depend on a how much of your data is collected. If you're using Google, of course, all of your data will be collected. But there are plenty of domain name server lookups that you can use as alternatives, one of which provides you with a pre-tested link. So for example, if you're going to end up being redirected to a dodgy site, a site that's got um, uh, software on it that you shouldn't have or it's infected with something malicious, if you're using an alternative domain name server, you know for a while that when it sends you to that link, that link has been pre-checked. So the two of those, the first one I used at home for the kids was called OpenDNS, which will give you an account. You can log into your account and you can stop things from being seen from your computers. <coughs> Always remember a great email from my son or from the site. Son's, the, the site was, you know, alldancinggirls.com. It wasn't, but it was slightly worse than that. And I get an email from my son saying, Dad, can I have access to this site? I need it for my homework. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I walk upstairs to the bedroom and say... What the hell? He says, I didn't realise that went to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so, uh, and then, and then if you wanted to, you can log into your OpenDNS account and you can track what's been looked up from your computer, if you so desire. Particularly helpful with kids, not so helpful with teenage kids, plenty of awkward conversations going on there. But OpenDNS is something that is you that should. In the notes? It's in the notes. And also Quad9. Quad9 is a joint venture with IBM and somebody else. So it's a domain name server provider. It provides you with a free service, but it pre checks nearly all of the sites you want to go for. So if you ended up with someone sending you a link to, you know, a, a lingerie site in Bangkok or whatever it is you've got to look at. Um, oh, uh, sorry, um, um, I forgot the blank. Quad nine, quad nine will pre-check that site and put a flag up to say, "Did you know this site contains X, Y, or Z?" Not necessarily going to stop you going there, but it will prevent a lot of attacks you're likely to get on your computer. So these are small changes, really easy to make inside the settings of your internet browser, and it just means you can either lock down the content that's seen on your machine or to make sure it's a pre-verified link using one or two the other. about these safe search things? 
you know, where, where... The problem with safe search on Google... So I, I, I say it's all right to look at this website. Jude, 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 when Jude and I have had a couple of conversations about this. The, the, the Americans will show you... We'll, we'll drop a bomb on Hiroshima. Won't show you a boob on page three. They have this ultra-religious, um, Methodist, childish approach to... Morality. Morality. Facebook in particular, if you're trying to run, as Jude and I have discussed, if you're trying to run ads on Facebook, it's an absolute nightmare getting through this, these, these, these moral issues. And I'm on the phone saying, you lot dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. Why can't I put God in that ad? You or the word God. Data. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, and so with safe search, I find that it is, it's a bit over the top in terms of what it, what it holds back. Um, so, 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 I, I tend not to have it on, oh, well, I never have it on. I've got it on my phone, which is pretty annoying sometimes, but that's because of Tesco's mobile. And I've, I've got, if I want to take it off, I've got a phone, Tesco's mobile. Hi, yeah, yeah, Richard here, yeah, great, see you. Um, that, um, that lock on my phone for, like, all the adult stuff. <laughs> really, sir, would you like it turned off? I don't want that conversation. So I've never done it, so my phone's got safe search on permanently, which is blocked by the ISP. But but I but yeah, safe search. I would. I've never used. I find it just just holds data. Back. It's often downloaded with versions of antivirus. It's it's often an option with an antivirus. Do you want? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My problem is I've never run antivirus. I don't particularly like them. It's already proven with uh, with McAfee to be a bit of a scam. Um, so what should we do if we don't run an antivirus? Then? I, I that would, sounds really scary. What if you're not? If you're it's not, a bit like not getting the vaccination. I've been infected with viruses. I've never, I've never, I've never had a, a virus infection, but I've never run as a non-admin user. I've always, so I've always run as a non-admin user. So no, nothing can get infected on my machine unless I know. No, I'm knocking on wood when you said that. No, I know, but you're not recording. And, so, right? and so, um, so, so, well, I've never had a problem with it. I, I used to run Sophos on my Mac, but that was only because I had a particular problem with it. I've always got a copy of Malware Bytes kicking around. Right. Uh, because Malware Bytes will certainly, is a freebie and will certainly check to see if your machine is infected with anything. But I, but I, 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 I don't... I, tell you I can only speak from, from personal. I, I've never run antivirus. And, I, and, and I, when I work for Nationwide, they never run antivirus on their machines, and nor did NatWest. Uh, and so... You've got and then the if you security thing on, on your computer, isn't it? He runs as a user. Yeah, I just run as a user rather than as an administrator. Never had any problem, never. Do you put Windows Defender on? Well, I, I haven't used Windows for quite a while, but I did oh, run I Windows Defender oh. as... As a as a, um, a firewall, but that was that was all. That was it. Well, that's yeah. right. The, the lady that used to run yeah. the uh, admin mm -hmm. for where my, my wife worked, she never had any antivirus. She used Windows Defender. Yeah, she Windows said Defender. Never been touched. And, um, I, I wouldn't. Be, I'm not saying. Yeah, so if you've got a firewall on your machine, um, uh, 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 what what uh, the bad guys are very often looking for an open port, a network port on your computer, uh, and that's a, a, a port is. Is effectively a connection on your machine that you can't see. Mm -hmm. So Windows has got I don't know ten thousand different ports on it, mm -hmm. and uh, and they're all all have different purposes for for way for this machine to communicate with with the outside world. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the bad guys look for these unused these these open ports to try and get in to to steal data. 
But if you're running a firewall, that locks that down completely. And if you're not running as a... So, so even if they do get into your machine, there's a limited amount of data they can see because they can only, they can only see that, that there is a user there, can't necessarily data unless they've got a password for it. Why have you got a part your password protected your, your your user files? It shouldn't be an issue. I've never had a problem with it, but I... So you don't have any security system? No, only firewall. Yeah, firewall. Right, okay. Uh, which and all, all modern software comes with a firewall built in. It's either on or off, and so, right. but no antivirus. But I, but, but provided I'm running as non-admin, but um, and sometimes if I'm running it, running as an administrator, I disconnect it from the net, just in case there's a little back door that comes in. Do you use security password protect your document folder? No. Okay. You can set up a password for your document folder. Well, there's two two things about that. One, I don't keep any data locally. It's all cloud based. So. It, you uh, trust the cloud then. <laughs> Google Docs, yeah, a paid for version of Google Docs. Which is what a three or four Do you quid a month. Trust the cloud. <laughs> the story beats. Well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. At some at some point, you've got to put your faith into something else. I think the cloud, to can... me, is the biggest access point for data ever. Yeah. Provided people can get into it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm surprised you use it. Yeah, no, I do. I, I use I use Google Docs, and it's all it's all locked away quite nicely up there. I've never had. Yeah, it, it, well, you think it is, but you don't know what's going on in the background. We use a server. We've got a yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Google servers yeah. can get into those docs, I'm sure. Um, well, technically, yes, but then yeah, there's a there's a there's can. a fairly massive breach of trust if they did. Yeah. So, <laughs> what was that you were saying about? Yeah, no, I just don't. No, 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 but, but they're saying you either believe they are or you don't. I don't. I think they're they're just an ordinary commercial. I don't know. I don't. I just see. I think moving everything it's a personal to the cloud. So when I say when I say when I say to the FCA about using Google Docs, they don't. They're not bothered about it. Regulators not interested with it. They use whatever you like. Whether you're using AWS, whether you're using Google Docs, whether you're using Microsoft's cloud platform, um, none of the regulators, you know, accountants, solicitors, the SRA, no one says don't use it. So. Does it make it right? No, 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 I'm saying, but in terms of, you know, some client data, I wouldn't, I would hold, only hold locally on a hard drive. Um, but, but, uh, but, but correspondence data is, is all cloud-based. It's just interesting that the technological movement forward is to shift all the data off local machines onto a centrally held platform somewhere mm, yeah. that you can't see how it's controlled and what it's used for. That's my concern. Okay, That's just a so very if you're using the free version, if you're using the free version of Google Docs, you give them full rights of access to any data that's contained in there. But if they're using the paid-for version, it gives them no access. You are paying for the service. But anything that's a free service, your data is being used. But they probably rely on a lot of people using it as a free service. That's the point, well, isn't it? But there, and therein lies the problem. This is about you know read, reading through those 400 pages of terms and conditions. Which but, nobody but, does. But so yeah. using, I use paid-for Google Docs. As far as I'm concerned, that is my data. It's not shared with them. I'm just using their service. But how would you know if it was shared? Well, the the answer to that is is I probably wouldn't until until a, a breach had been notified. But you can apply that to just about anything. You can apply that to to, to the antivirus software you're you're installing on your machine. You could you could apply it to Windows. You could apply it to Linux. You could apply it to everything. At some point, you've got to. But make... at least if you have your data in uh, a means that's separate from your computer, like a, a backup hard disk or whatever. 
that, that's actually physically separate from a cloud-based system. Mm. That's what I think. Okay. Nearly all government data in, in the revenue wow. data is all, is all on Amazon Web Services, all on IWS. Government data is all moving. Government data. Well, well so it's, it's all AWS, which is the outrageous week about the 50 million spend with Amazon. We all think Amazon is this little cuddly little firm that ships stuff to us when we want to go online. Amazon Web Services is the cash cow behind Amazon. They don't make any money selling books and you know crap on, on Amazon.com. They make their money from Amazon Web Services, providing cloud-based web services. That is their cash cow. It's the overwhelming profit centre for them. Government, All government data is stored on, I say all, Big chunks of government data is stored on Amazon Web Services. You might see it as a .gov website, but behind that, it's all stored on Amazon. They're going to move all that with the you know, NHS data, health data. It's all going to be on big data sets and linking all of yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. And so, but that's all going to. So everybody knows. Yeah, and I bet that all, I bet that all goes to AWS. Well, nearly, nearly all American government, all American government data, internal data, including the military data, is all stored on AWS. It's all used. So we're all well, the well, thing is, well, they, they was, they was, they was, in all fairness, they was 15 years ahead of, of Microsoft. Microsoft are now playing it. Google are dabbling with it with their web services. But the bottom line is, Amazon are, Amazon is a, you know, a megalith, megalith, monolith, megalith. Behemoth. Really, behemoth, yeah, really big. Amazon are, Amazon are really good. Yeah, one of those. Anyway, we digress. So, um, um, there's a little story about an Indian bank. I'm going to tell you this because I think it's really interesting. So an Indian bank was hacked, but it wasn't a conventional hack. It was hacked uh, at the domain level. Domains have to be registered. So bbc.co.uk has to be registered. Therichardsmith.com in the go. But it's a domain that's registered. So I can log into one of the domains accounts and I tell the service where that, where that website is, where, whereabouts on the web it's stored. And um, the, 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 the domain registries are really quite paranoid about data, more paranoid after this big Indian hack. What happened was some hackers, some bad guys, tried to get into the Indian bank website, obviously couldn't, so they went to the domain registry, logged into the account there, and told the, the, the domain registrar that this, this site that was here, this banking site was here, is now stored over there. People will type in, you know, Bank of Ind India, and get taken to the new website, type in their passwords, and someone was sitting there at the other end of it, collecting the passwords at the same time. Thank you very much. <laughs> really, really, really logging into the bank. But thank you very much. It was, it was, um, uh, that happened to a Brazilian bank, and there was plenty of money stolen over a relatively short period of time. One of the questions that come out of that was, well, how could it be that simple? How could it be that easy? And the reason it was that easy was because of what was missing from there was what they call two-factor authorization. So what should have happened was someone tried to log into that account and then something happened. They wanted another 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 authorization for it. That's very if you're dealing with the revenue, it's done by a text message. It will send you a code. I've got an app on my phone called 2FA Authorization. For those of you that aren't aware of it, if you're looking to really secure to secure your, your logins in particular, whether it be Amazon, Google, use two-factor authorization. You can either use that on the app, so quite literally, um, let's, um, so there's the authenticator app. So that gives me a number which changes every every few minutes um, for various sites. 
So what I need in order to log into the, if I wanted to log into my my LastPass account, for example, I need my normal credentials, email address, password. Then I need that number, which is a rolling number. Without that number, you can't get any access to it. So I've got that from a Google account, got it for one of the websites, got it for my CRM, and I've got it for HMRC. Do you set that up, or is that set up already? It will give you an option. When it, if you go to your, your if you go to your Google account or whichever, your Amazon account, it will give you an option for two FA, two factor authentication. Um, you can either get an app for your phone, or you can receive an SMS. So any time someone tries to log into your account, um, they can't get access unless they provide that two FA. A number and that's only for the phone, is it? It's for the phone or SMS, depending on the provider. Uh, Amazon only provide it for, as an authenticator for the phone. Um, uh, Gmail, Google Mail will apply it for uh, an SMS message. The revenue will apply it for an S- SMS message. So as soon as you log into, you don't get... have one app that, that you set up. Yeah, one at one. Numbers for different accounts. Well, it, it will give you a number. What you do is you, you, you it'll it ask you whether you've got the app. You've got, if you've got the app downloaded, it'll say yes, and you just quite literally scan using the app, scan the, the code that appears on the screen, and that's automatically set up and linked with your account. Right. So, for example, so if I go into... One app for multiple sites. So on, the, on this one, I've got Google, uh, one of the websites, my, my, my online CRM, and HMRC. And what's your app uh, uh, That's Google Authenticator. So, um, so, so uh, two-factor two, two uh, uh, authentication is really good. Right, okay. Uh, so... Um, we want to share data with with. Is it going to record through that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going. Um, secure email encryption, the options, software problems. So you want to have a conversation with your friend Bob down the road, and you want to send him a note that you don't want anybody else to see. I tell you how Al Qaeda did it, and how ISIS do it. They will create a spoof email account and two people will have access to that account. They'll create an email, leave it in drafts. It's never sent. Co-party logs into the same account, goes into drafts, and sees whatever message it needs to see. Nothing complicated about that at all. It's not sent across the web, so nobody gets a looking at it. Um, uh, it's not collated on any servers anywhere. Um, you can have rock-solid, secure, and flexible conversations from anywhere in the world. Um, of late, the bad guys have been using WhatsApp, which is great for sharing files, videos, data. It's available for most smartphones. Nothing complicated about it at all. It's fully encrypted end-to-end, fully secure. The only person can, that can see that data is you and the person that receives it. Amber Rudd has asked Facebook several times because they own the WhatsApp platform, can we have access to the back end of it? And they said, you, have you got a called order? Yes, we can. On a, on a per user basis, not a problem at all. Um, Who owns it, sorry? Uh, it's owned by uh, WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. Oh yeah. Um, take over. Well, no. What, what's Facebook <coughs> over WhatsApp? But 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 the problem with with um, with um, Facebook don't know how to monetize it because they can't see what data's in there. They don't know how to make money from it because it's all encrypted end to end and it's encrypted on a per 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 user basis. So that's got a unique algorithm attached to that particular phone. So does the user at the other end, and it's all wrapped up in the middle. There are some alternatives to WhatsApp. Telegram, which has been banned by the Russians, 
uh, and the Chinese, they hate Telegram because the level of encryption is slightly better. Uh, and so uh, you can't use Telegram in Russia or can't use it uh, in, in, uh, in China. So WhatsApp's all right to use then? It's quite complete, completely secure, popular. completely secure and safe. Whether you're sending voice through it or whatever you're trying to do with it, completely secure. Um, but I just want to go back a stage. So, so if you're aware of how, how, this, how this encryption stuff works, it basically you take whatever message you're trying, whatever data you're trying to send, um, you would wrap it up with an algorithm, a long prime number and some bits, and you'd come out with a, with a blob of data afterwards. That's how encryption works. You take a little snippet, you wrap it up with something else, and then unless you know what that something else is, you can't ever get to see the original data. Uh, pretty good privacy was invented by a fellow called Phil Zimmerman in the, in the States way back, way back before we had really any sort of, you know, modern modern web browsers. Um, produced the software for it. The American government said, really, that is a weapon of war. It's classified. You cannot sell that. And this was a software package for encrypting data, making it secure and sending it around the world. Um, Phil said, OK, fine, fair enough. I want to get this story out there. I can't sell the software, but I can produce it as a book. So you put the source code into a book because First Amendment, freedom of speech, you can put what you like in a book. Sold the book, people were scanning the pages of the book, compiling the code, voila, they had the software that they needed to use it. Um, and uh, Phil went underground because he was un his life was threatened several times. Um, what he'd come up with was pretty, what he called pretty good privacy was in fact unbreakable. Relied on two things. It relied on a public key, which is what people use to send information to you, and a private key, which is where you would use to send information to them. And they would then use the public key to un 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 unscramble it. Um, worked perfectly. American government decided quite recently that it was no longer a threat. Uh, and um, they now had the, the ability to be able to unencrypt that data. Uh, and so it is now, well, at one point, it was against the law to send PGP encrypted information to any US citizen. Um, I, I still believe it's, un, it's unbreakable in parts, but I. Uh, uh, PGP. PG, pretty good privacy. <laughs> pretty good privacy. Um, Widely available still to use. You'll put a you'll put your uh, a public key on a server somewhere which people can look up. I can look up your public key or your public key, encrypt the message, send it to you, knowing full well that only you can unencrypt it because you have the other the other half of that key. These two locks we were talking about in terms of the security. So um, works really well. Um, yeah. So the, the Americans decided it was a, it was a military weapon. Um, it's now it's now owned by a firm called Semantic, which you probably might have heard of, um, but but they are but it's it's used to create a public and private key. Um, works really well. Okay, um, encryption of files and data. TrueCrypt. TrueCrypt was a bit of software I was using for a long while. Whatever information you had, if you didn't want anybody else to see, you could use TrueCrypt, and that would create a container file that was perfectly sealed and secured. If you wanted to put all of your documents in there and share those files with another, you could wrap it up into a TrueCrypt bundle. For some strange reason, it disappeared very quickly from the marketplace. There was a couple of data. There was a couple of issues in the states where firms were providing were providing um, 
uh, encryption devices um, like BlackBerry, for example. The American government took a bit of a, uh, a nasty view of them. TrueCrypt disappeared overnight with no explanation. The, the answer, as we found out, the American government said to TrueCrypt, unless you give us access to the back end of that software, okay, we are going to see you or we're going to char put criminal charges on you. And the the company that owned it or the guys that designed it said, okay, thanks very much. We're going to pull the software from the marketplace. Will you be happy with that? And they said, yes, we will. And so the software disappeared overnight. I used it for a long while for selling secure information to, to, to clients. You could wrap up um, um, uh, uh, a file uh, in a, in a self-decrypting volume. You could email it across to a client. They would click on the button type in whatever security password there was and their data would appear within the file. Knowing full well that it was perfectly safe. It is still available. There's a handful of places on the, on the web you can still get it from if you want to have a play with it. But if you want to lock down data so that nobody else gets a chance to see it and has um, anti-kidnap uh, options built into it, um, basically it means you can have containers within containers so if you're kidnapped or threatened with a gun you can say well there's the there's the data but the real data is hidden in another hidden volume within that so uh, loads of little options but PJ put so a pretty good pro, sorry um, TrueCrypt is, is something that you should all have a play with if you're really interested in in having stuff secure on your on on your on your own computers um, but even better than that even better than that if you put a password on a Word document, or put a password on a LibreOffice document, or put a password on a PDF, provided that password is of sufficient length, and I mean not just a word and not just one, two, three, four, five, the information that's in there is virtually unbreakable. It's particularly the latest versions of Office, so that's DocX is, is unbustable. Doc Doc is quite close. And so if you wanted to send secure information to anyone in this room, you've got a choice of WhatsApp and you've got a choice of a Word Doc. Straightforward. doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. You have to remember, of course, if you lose the password to it, that's it. Hasn't that happened to the, the guy who died? Who With the Bitcoin password, Bitcoin is that just, that's just funny, isn't it? It's just passes. funny, isn't it? You've got to laugh at the story. Uh, yes. um, wow. he, died, he died, he wrote a will two days before he died. Yeah. Yeah. And his all the access to the back end data was on his laptop and his wife didn't know the password. Yep. Oh. So there's forty five million pounds worth of money owed to investors or whatever that nobody can access. Yeah, TrueCrypt allow allow an op, allow an option, and it's just there's a there's a link in there to GRC.com, which is a, the last version of TrueCrypt is available. Um, I've listened to the Security Now podcast for about 20, 10, 15 odd years uh, and cover and follow sort of data security from, from then up until now. And so um, the, the, the Steve Gibson, the GRC website, has got loads of stuff in there, loads of security, particularly about encryption. The guy is a proper proper geek, but a friendly geek. But he was the one that collected this last version of TrueCrypt. He's the guy that raves about LastPass, about how, how good it is, and he also raved about TrueCrypt. So if you're looking to lock data down and have information on your computer that you want nobody else to have access to, um, 
you can do that using TrueCrypt. If you, you can then share that information, but if you lose the password or if you lose the if you lose the, <laughs> you're, you, you're knackered. You're, you're just a, it's a blob of data, and, that, and that's all it is. So there's there's no way around it. Um, I've got there's a there's a this is a this is a um, a, a, a private key. So that's 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 a private key. That's a simple private key. So you can just sort of see how how much data is in there. So so I I took a I took a a private key and I encrypted. Um, I love you all. Using that key, and that was the result, which is that small series of characters below. So using that public key just gives you that one one line one line of text. Um, Without without that key, you've got no no idea of what what those words were. It might come up with "I I love you much" or "I all you love" or whatever it's going to come up with. But the problem is, you you'll never know, even if you try and encrypt it, even if you've got the software to unencrypt it, and you spend hours, what that data is. You don't know whether it's accurate, whether it was right. And this is one of the problems with encryption: how much time do you spend that trying to get access to data, which is what makes it so powerful. Um, because we've got, you know, the organisations that, that are scanning the web looking for these encrypted files. They've no idea what's in it. It could be a picture of his dog, but it's encrypted, so they think it's automatically think it's interesting. And so, you're not going to spend thousands of pounds of resources on time and resources trying to get access to someone's data unless you know what it is. Mm-hmm. So you can either use simple PGP, which is a, the links are online for you to have a play with it yourself, creating your own keys, uh, or you can put a uh, a word doc, uh, a password on a word doc, and send it via WhatsApp. Voila! Don't tell ISIS though, because they'll all be at it. They'll all be at it. And um, so, on top of that, you can you, you can use these private keys for for uh, signing emails, which we we still we're still not signing emails, um, um, uh, purely because the, it comes with a little file that's attached to it, and a lot of the antivirus software thinks that that file may, may have something in it that it shouldn't be there. So, whereas when I was first working for NatWest, we had a digital signature attached to each email. We had to stop using it because um, the, the, the antivirus has thought it was um, a virus attached to it rather than a, the security for the email. Um, but, um, um, so yeah, WhatsApp, we cover that, Telegram. Uh, Dropbox and Amazon S3 for sharing files. Um, uh, Dropbox has been hacked. Um, recently, uh, but but the data is encrypted on their own servers. Your data is encrypted on their servers. But if you but going back to this issue again about what it is you're trying to protect and why you're trying to protect it, um, uh, and understanding you do have some options. I think it's powerful. Um, password protecting a document, WhatsApp in it, and or Dropbox. Dropbox, you can delete your documents. You can delete afterwards, yeah. And uh, if you're looking to be looking to join the rest of the bad guys, then um, uh, do an onion share. Uh, link to password principles is there. It's a PDF, which I've talked about. Uh, um, uh, it's quite an old document now, 2014. That was posted, I think I wrote that, 2010, 11 maybe, for a presentation I'd done. Um, Ideally, passwords should have something should 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 be something you have. I use um, these these little things here. These are called Yubikeys. What keys? It's a little USB key. They're, they're called. They're about about a tenner each now. Twelve dollars, I think they are. So there's two ways of using these. One is to produce a long string of data, which I can use for encryption. Something I've got, 
or I can use it for verification. <laughs> so, for example, uh, on my Amazon S3 account, in order for me to look, which is where I store some data, I have to put my YubiKey into the side of the side of the uh, computer. There's a little green light comes up on the top there, which is a little button. I press the button. That sends a signal to YubiKey server, which verifies this key. So it interrogates this key to make sure it's legit and I'm a valid user. It then sends a signal to Amazon S3 with my password and allows me to log in. I can't log in to S3 without my YubiKey. I don't think I've got anything on my computer that that would fit into. Uh, USB. Would it go into a USB? Yeah, it's designed, yes, yeah, four pins. doesn't look like my yeah. standard no, USB. No, it goes into a USB. I'll show you in a second. And so, so th this is really because you can use this to log into your home computer. You can use it for whatever you want to use it for. You can, you, If you want to log into something, a YubiKey will log into most things for you. Not mobile phones yet, although if you've got a mobile phone with a USB connection, you can use it to log into your phone. Um, uh, handy bit of kit, bit of overkill. What I like about it is that it produces a... A, a fixed code. So if you're looking, one of the things you want with passwords is to have your passwords as long as possible. The problem is remembering a 40-digit mm. password, please. Mm. Um, but on some of the sites, I use a YubiKey, which just produces a code, but I top and tail it with my PIN number. So I've got two digits of the PIN at the front, then the digits out of the YubiKey, and then the last two digits at the back. No one's ever going to guess that. No one's ever going to get access to that. Mm. So it's something I know, which is my pin, and something I have. So again, a little bit of a... Do you back that up? Don't, no, don't need to, no. Don't need to. Why do you lose it? Uh, then I have to reset everything. Which I have, but well, you'll notice I've got two on there. <laughs> got two, two on the same string. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? What if you lose that ribbon with both of them? Well, I, 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 they, they, they are replaceable, but I would need to go and reset passwords on, on oh. passwords on, it, on each thing. And so I, I have lost lost one before. But but again, it's a, it's a little bit of overkill. It's a question of whether or not you know you want to protect your data that much. Um, certainly, the NHS has got its own cards, land cards, isn't it, for the smart card, yeah, and so, uh, and that's a very similar thing, it's just a different, slightly different technology, but you can, you, I can use that for encryption, I can use it for passwords, I can use it for authorising bank transfers. Can you use it on an external backup disk, an external hard drive? Uh, it would need to be plugged into your computer and then software put on the hard drive in order for you to be able to use it. So link one with the other. Yeah, but also if you wanted to, if you wanted to secure data on your hard drive, what I would do with that is encrypt it first using something like TrueCrypt. You can then use the YubiKey to unlock it. Depends what's on there, depends what you're trying to protect. And, and also you've got to remember the downsides of it all going wrong. If, if, for me, losing a YubiKey is not a major issue um, I, because I, I, can, I, I need to reset a handful of passwords. But if I've been using it for encryption, I've lost it. Poof, the whole lot's gone. Mm. Never to be seen again. If you've got an external hard disk that you back up your data with, how do you protect the data on the external hard disk from unauthorised You can either use whole disk encryption, which means that you're encrypting the whole drive. I mean, I've got WD software, Western Digital. So, yeah. So presumably they have, because I haven't done this, I just back up the data, but if my somebody burgled my house and took the separate hard disk away, I'm sure they could just plug it into their computer and all my data. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so you see, so you've got two options. Like you can either use, uh, if it will allow, simple password protection at a per folder level. 
but it would then mean you would need to unlock the folder before you can back up to it. Yeah, there is an unlocker software. Yeah, so, yes. so and I've not well, used it because I wasn't sure how what it did and how how it worked. But the problem with it is, if you lose the data, if you so if you lose the passwords to it, I've lost your data's data, gone. Yeah. And this is where you need to be really mindful of and really careful of, which I think is that's why I haven't used it. Ever. Which is which is so from my point of view, going back to this issue about the cloud again, I back up data from that in real time on the cloud. So all my data's taken off that machine and it's on the cloud. The worst mm-hmm. case scenario if my laptop gets stolen or falls over, I go and buy myself a new laptop, I put an operating system on it, I reset my passwords and I'm up and running again with all of my data as it was. Cloud yet, your yeah, yet, <laughs> yeah. Immediately, if someone steals my laptop and tries to log into my Amazon AWS account, they can't without that. Without that, they've got no access to it at all. They might see that there's data there. They might get to the account. They can see data. They can't see what it is, but they can see I've got data there. But without the UBK. What about these fingerprint identifiers? Yeah, well, anything. But I, but a fingerprint sensor on my phone is absolute pants. It says, "Oh, this the, the screen may be dirty." No, it isn't. So not so good. And I've got psoriasis, so my fingerprints change every five minutes anyway. You know, one minute I might not have any fingerprints, and so um, you got so you're forever, you're forever sort of swiping and thinking, "Oh, here we go again." Um, so, but there, there are loads of ways of doing it. The key, the key thing is to say, well, okay, what, what you're storing data for, how you're storing it, and what happens if you lose it? Mm-hmm. Having that little pad at the side of the bed with a few notes written on it can, can sometimes see, you know, really good. So, um, online portals, we've, we've come, we're, we're, so what, what to do there? USB memory sticks, uh, memory sticks are cheap, but they're not to be relied on. External hard, dri- hard drives and CD writers, yes, use all of those. Bear in mind they may not be readable in the future, just because you can read CDs and DVDs now. These modern machines don't have CVD, CD and DVD writers anyway. Will you be able to open a PNG graphic or a you know a .mp4 movie at some stage in the future? Who knows? Um, Flickr, Live Drive, Google Drive, and Amazon F3. Um, I like all of these. Flickr I love for photographs. It's free. Live Drive, Google Drive. I've got the paid for services. I can't I can't recommend the free services. Um, but the paid for services, yes. Amazon F3 for S3, which is just online storage for uh, the more technical, I guess. Um, what's it worth? If your data is really valuable, and if you're looking to 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 secure it and make sure it's backed up in a safe place, you've got to pay. It's going to be a hundred quid a year for the likes of Carbonite. Um, there are some others, Carbonite I've used, I quite like it. Um, basically, you know, you, you, you click on a, you right click on a folder and you tell Carbonite to back it up. Whatever's in that folder from now on, forever and a day, is automatically copied into Carbonite when your computer's on in real time. It's, six, I think it's 68, 68 pounds a year. It's encrypted. It does mean that if your machine falls over or gets stolen or, or gets, gets corrupted in some way, you go and put buy, buy a new machine. You put Carbonite back on, and your data is automatically back, downloaded back so that's to you. All cloud, is it? It's all cloud-based, yeah. yeah, it's all cloud-based. But it's encrypted before it leaves before it leaves your machine. Um, and I've something like health data, which is going to be on the cloud at some point. They were talking about releasing data for things like insurance companies to assess your risk based on health issues or family, but it'll come into genomics as well, yep. if, if you know, 
we can protect the data that we are responsible for in our own domain, if you like, our PC, but we can't protect the data mm. that's out there on the cloud, how other people use it and how the legislation changes to enable them to do that. Mm. I think that's my biggest concern, really. You yes, can ask, you can ask that it you, doesn't go on to You can, but at the same time, uh, I don't mind my data being shared for authorised uses. It's when you don't know how your data is going to be used for insurance purposes, for, I don't know, travel insurance because you've got a, a, a health problem or something. We don't have any control over anything like that. No. I'll, I'll, I'll think, <laughs> I think. I think even yeah. less, less control. I think is the way, the yeah. way it's going. I think, I think that's right. That we have to assume. Less and less control. It's interesting though how it's moved on. So in 1970s, we were still injecting women's urine into the toads to see if they were pregnant. Like, did any of you see that on the BBC this no. week? No. We're just talking about how how far we've moved on. So if the women were pregnant. Yeah, women. Not, so <laughs> pregnant. I know the women were pregnant. So this is. This is, right up, this is right up until about 1978. So your urine was sent off by your GP in a glass vial to a toad store somewhere. They were injecting the toad with the woman's urine. And if the toad produced eggs overnight, if the, if the toad produced eggs overnight, the woman was pregnant. Something, one of the hormones that was... And I'm thinking to myself... This is. I was 15 when this was going on, and I never imagined that we would still be using some sort of medieval practice to find out if a woman was pregnant. Well, yeah, but so, but so, and so, as we, now it's now we've got other things that are starting to come into the mix. You know, where is our data going? Who's storing it? What are they doing? So I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, and I think we have to accept that. Or, or, or I don't know. I, I, I'm always a little bit philosophical about it. Yeah.